thewellnesscouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. This is Up for a Chat with Cindy O'Mara, Karen Smith, and Kim Morrison. Here we are, up for a chat about the hottest topics that are important to you, inspiring you to awaken the change within. We have no Karen Smith, so I'm Kim Morrison. And I'm Cindy O'Meara. And it's exciting this week, even though we don't have our precious girl, because she's away on a retreat up there in the beautiful hinterland of the Sunshine Coast, we have an incredibly special guest on the show this week, and both Cindy and I have been fighting over him in front of 950 people on a stage at the Wellness Summit recently. We are both totally inspired by the way he speaks and the way he thinks, and it's a real privilege and a real honor to introduce you to the gorgeous Fuad Kassab. Welcome, Fuad. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Oh, my God. Kim and Cindy, I can't believe this. This is just insane. Wow. I, like, I'm going to be speechless. I think you're going to have to do the podcast without me. I'll just sit down and listen. <laughs> Oh, we'll get you talking, don't you worry. (laughs) Well, one of the things that really appealed to me when we're at the Wellness Summit, I mean, you and I have only just met. I know you've only just met Cindy a little bit before then. You've got two blondes that fight over you. We absolutely adore you. Um, I was really inspired by your story, a very briefly told story at the Wellness Summit, and I know Cindy hasn't heard this, so I'm going to ask you, could you tell us your story and how you came to being here with us today? Wow. Um, it is a, it's a story of my whole lifetime, Kim, really. Like everything that has ever happened to me is what was required to bring me up to this point. So I don't know how much time we've got, but I'll try to, to make it brief and uh, focus on the, on the big points. Um, firstly, I just have to say, I still haven't gotten over uh, you and Cindy fighting over me in front of a crowd of 950 people. That was just absolutely crazy. Um, just a few months ago, I was actually uh, working as an IT guy in a company, just sitting behind a desk doing my programming. And then, you know, a few months later, I have two of the people I admire and love the most in the health and wellness world, uh, you know, just uh, talking about me in front of such a crowd and so lovingly. And I just really felt that I, I had found uh, my tribe and my people. So thank you so much for, uh, you know, accept, accepting me as a friend. And I uh, really appreciate it. Oh, we love you. All right. So uh, where to begin? All right. Um, I was born in Lebanon in 1980, which is really the peak of the civil war. And uh, at that time, um, you know, my I, I lived in a southern village, um, which is really where the conflict was most of the time, the, the heavy conflict. And um, my mom was, of course, stressed out beyond what you can express because of all the bombs that were falling and things like that. And so I was born into a world of complete chaos and turmoil. And during that time, uh, Lebanon was receiving a lot of foreign aid from international countries uh, to help, um, you know, feed the people really and the diet that i grew up on which you know my heritage being an eastern mediterranean would have been fresh vegetables and uh, fresh meats and uh, you know olive oil and things like that uh, that was still there but really most of the diet was the calories that came from foreign aid at the base of it which was white flour white sugar uh, ultra pasteurized cheese that was actually shelf stable spam things like canola oil and soybean oil and rice bran rice bran oil and things like that that were uh, just easy to get to the country and didn't require refrigeration or anything like that. So we know uh, right now that these are sort of the building blocks for uh, 
chronic illnesses and uh, that was uh, manifesting in my life from uh, pretty much my childhood i was uh, like when i was first born i was born overweight and discontinued throughout my life um when i turned 12 years old i um, i started getting uh, chronic ear infections and this sort of um, you know retrospectively i look back at my life now and i go wow like everything um, that happened during that period of time like the lebanese doctors were very trigger happy with antibiotics because they of course wanted you to avoid going to a hospital because they were prime targets for bombings so uh, they just give you antibiotics all the time and uh, I grew up on a diet of uh, refined foods and antibiotics and, uh, you know, um, the weight was going up and up during my early life. And then 12 years old, the recurring ear infection started happening and I started getting injections of antibiotics that I would take for six months at a time. I think I took them for over three years before the ear infections. Um, I discovered that you can just put a little bit of uh, vinegar and water into your ears and it sort of resolved the, the symptoms. But of course, it was a sign of a bigger systemic problem that I had. And by the time I turned 17, uh, my skin started breaking out in acne, that uh, well, folliculitis, which is acne at the base of the hair follicles. And it started off in my head and moved throughout my whole body. And, um, you know, the, uh, the doctors again were giving me more antibiotics. And that was just a, a yearly part of my life. Antibiotics were like as normal as, uh, you know, drinking water. And um, I just didn't know how to sort of fix it. And at the time, my weight was over 100 kilos um, and it just kept getting worse and worse and went throughout my whole body. And then I developed eczema afterwards. And then I moved to Australia. Well, it, it's, it's, I'll just uh, tell you the story of how actually I came to uh, move to Australia. So when I was 18 and I finished school, I wanted to go and study biology and medicine so that I can actually fix myself. And uh, I got a scholarship to go into one of the most prestigious Lebanese universities, which was crazy for me because I was um, like I came from a poor family. We didn't have enough money to actually pay for education there, um, and um, I basically was working six days a week at a bookshop, making two hundred US dollars a month, and the tuition for that university was around twenty-two thousand US dollars a year. So I would never, you know, lifetimes and lifetimes over of work would never have allowed me to sort of enter that world. And I got a scholarship, and I thought my life was going to be uh, amazing. I'm going to be able to fix myself and help other people. And biology was a passion for me. But uh, on the day that I was supposed to start university, the scholarship got um, retracted because the uh, this the place that was funding us just collapsed. There was no more money in it. So I found myself in uh, a place that I just had no idea like uh, what I was going to do. And I was going to get drafted for military service. And the only thing that you could do to avoid military service, well, one of two things is one, you can sort of have a baby and become like a, a father and then you, you can't go to the military service. And the other one was to sort of go to university and the only thing that i had available to me was english literature that was the only thing that was left that i could join so i went and did a, a year and a half of english literature and um uh, this will become relevant later on in my story i'll explain what happened um i uh did that and then an opportunity to come to australia uh, arrived so i was i had some relatives here who said come and uh, study something in australia and you can change your life um, and I thought, yeah, all right, I'll, I'll give that a shot. I'll, you know, I don't really, you know, mind as long as I get some opportunities in my life. I didn't know where my life was going to go. Um, so I came to Australia in 2001 and I studied software engineering. And um, 
I lived in Penrith, which is a part of um, you know Australia that uh, at the time in 2001 wasn't very multicultural. So all access to the foods that I grew up uh, loving and wanting to eat, they were just not there. And I started eating all these things like uh, sausage rolls and burgers with a lot and things like that, <laughs> which at first was fantastic. But then my health continued to deteriorate and my weight kept going up and up. And uh, I just couldn't find a solution to my problem. Um, but my life, of course, kept going on. And in 2006, because I sort of had found this um, love for cooking uh, that came from me wanting to recreate my mother's dishes um, and also having studied the English literature and falling, falling in love with things like uh, the writings of Wordsworth and Byron and Shakespeare. And I just thought I wanted to have some kind of creative expression in my life. So in 2006, I started the first Middle Eastern food blog ever, which uh, was called thefoodblog.com.au. As far as I know, that was the first one to ever really be started in any serious way that talked about Middle Eastern cooking. And I wanted to sort of share this concept of um, food uh, and culture, like food through the lens of culture, because quite quite often my culture is always associated really with things like bombings and um you know, deaths and wars and things like that. But like, even though that was a big part of my life, like I was being dragged down to a bunker when I was a young child, you know, so that we wouldn't die from the bombs hitting our buildings. We also did have a lot of happiness and joy in our life. Like there was a lot of community, people really loved and looked after each other. And uh, there were stories to be found everywhere of uh, just absolute uh, human decency. And I wanted to share that in, in my blog and sort of have an outlet that uh, allowed me to express uh, some creativity in my life, you know, on on the side to software engineering. So um, I started this blog expecting it to go nowhere. And before I knew it, like I was getting 200,000 uh, visitors a year, which at the time was massive. And then uh, it caught the eyes of the Sydney Morning Herald, who uh, asked me to come and review um, restaurants for the Good Food Guide, which was a, a big deal for me. Like this was never something that I'd expected would ever happen. Um, but they, they like the way that I write uh, and they like sort of the topics and the depth of knowledge that I had about food, especially when it comes to the food of my culture. And uh, that sort of, um, I spent three or so years going around restaurants in New South Wales, just writing about all these amazing places that I was eating. And I really, really threw myself down the path of food and eating and understanding things like provenance and farmers and why it's so important to eat locally and things like food philosophy and food migration and how like well, food can be transmitted from one culture to the other. And uh, it was just amazing to me. It was just so fascinating to be able to professionally sort of dedicate uh, a part of my life to understanding food, which is one of the most essential things that we do. I mean, most of us do it three times a day eating and uh, it just became a huge passion for me to write about and to learn about. But my health kept on getting worse and worse. And in 2011, um, my uh, weight peaked at 128 kilos and um, I was, um, yeah, like distraught. I just couldn't fix it. All the doctors that I went to and I would visit specialists almost on a yearly basis trying to find one person who could fix the skin issues that I was having, the eczema and the acne, which I was still treating with antibiotics and steroid creams and uh, benzoyl peroxide and things like that. And um, I thought, surely I, I should be able to do something about it, but I couldn't do it. Everyone was telling me, well, unfortunately, this is your genetic lottery. This is how you've ended up um, you know, in life because you were born this way. And there's nothing you can do about it except to manage these symptoms. And um, when my daughter came in 2011, 
uh, Sarah was just absolutely beautiful. She's uh, She had none of my skin problems, none of my weight issues, which I was terrified that she's going to have all these things that I thought genetically were my, uh, you know, the, the short straw that I'd drawn, I, I thought that she was going to get it too. But she was fine. And one of the things that happened to me was I started really worrying about me being 128 kilos at the age of 31, not being able to keep up with my daughter. Uh, like if she was going to cross the street, I wasn't going to be able to run after her to stop a car from hitting her. And, I, and that caused me a lot of stress in my life. And um, so I thought I was going to take a year off. I was working at a, one of the big banks in Australia at the time. I was an IT manager. My career was taking off, but I wasn't feeling fulfilled in it. And I felt that there was a disconnect between the work that I was doing and uh, the health. Like it wasn't just allowing me to sort of take positive steps to improve my health. And I knew that despite what the doctors were telling me, that there was something to be done about my health. So I decided to take a year off. And um, just from that intention, very quickly, I think a month later, I read an article in the New York Times by Gary Tobes, who uh, you would know, um, he uh, was proposing. Definitely. Definitely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And uh, he was talking about the idea um, that uh, weight partitioning isn't caused by an excess of calories in your diet. Like you're not going to put on weight just because you eat too much. It's the, uh, the quality of the food and not the quantity that made a difference. And he made this compelling argument uh, talking about the insulin hypothesis and how insulin was really responsible for fat partitioning. And, um, you know, because I had uh, a solid uh, background in biology, it was really the career that I had chosen to take early on in my life and something that I kept up with, even though um, I had sort of always subscribed to the idea that it's calories in, calories out. Something there just really talked to me and it said, this is an idea worth uh, looking at. Just look into it, see what happens. Um, and um, the other part of me was going, this is absolutely crazy. Like you just, you, this is not going to do anything. But I had sort of lost a bit of hope and I thought, look, this is just going to, I had tried everything. So I may as well try what he was saying. And he was sort of talking about it an Atkins-style diet to be able to reverse uh, your uh, overweight issues. And um, because my diet at the time was actually really clean, like I wasn't, I never ate junk food, especially after I started um, writing for the Herald. It, uh, my diet was very clean, very much focused on eating locally and, uh, you know, and supporting your local farmers. And I wasn't eating junks and junk food and preservatives um, I uh, transitioned into a low-carb diet, and what it turned out to be without me knowing was a, a low-carb paleo diet because I had taken the grains out and the sugars out and I wasn't eating junk. So by default, it became a, like a paleolithic diet, uh, which most people will enter paleo from a low-carb perspective. And man, wow, within uh, just uh, a few weeks, really, of starting this, what I thought was going to be um, a suicide mission, really, <laughs> Within a few weeks, uh, the weight has started fall falling off, like in kilos every day. And I just couldn't believe what was happening. Um, my skin started clearing up. Uh, my hay fever went away. I was less scratchy and itchy. I wasn't scratching myself until I bled anymore. And then I think three weeks or so, I experienced two days of this massive crash, which I had expected to be like part of the carbohydrate withdrawal symptoms. 
But what came after that was something I never really expected. And it was uh, I woke up one day, and this is beyond actually, like uh, so far now I've lost, what is it, something like 32 kilos uh, over the past five years, which is a, a big achievement for me. But the crazy thing was, and still to this day, is the clarity that I experienced when I woke up that day. I woke up with a fresh pair of eyes. I actually saw the world for the first time. It was clear. It was beautiful. The air smelled fresh and food tasted great. And my body felt wonderful. And I felt so much love in my heart. And I was just like walking around just like on, on class. And it was just amazing. As if like This is the first day I'd ever been born into. And I just couldn't believe what was happening to me. And uh, as you know, when a person, you know, comes to a place of wellness, they uh, they feel that um, there's something in them stirs up as a human being. It's part of our instinct or intuition. I don't know what it is, but it's something that tells you, go, go talk about this. Tell people they need to know. You need to tell people that this is possible. And it's, uh, it's a new world that opened up to me. And ever since that day, I haven't really shut up about it. <laughs> and, um, as you can see, it's something that I, I love and I live this. And um, over those years, I created a friendship with Joe Witten, who was another blogger, and we admired each other's writings. And we sort of really, um, I, I jokingly say, we sort of became friends over our uh, common hatred for margarine. <laughs> and um, basically what happened is Joe and I were friends um, from the day she started her blog, and we maintained that friendship. And uh, Joe from Quirky Cooking, who's a best-selling author, she's her and I are writing our second cookbook together. And uh, she uh, generously and kindly donated 10 minutes of her own time at the Wellness Summit for me to go on stage and to tell my story, which I thought was absolutely crazy because she has an equally amazing story herself. But being the kind soul that she is, she gave me that time and um, I went up and told that story. And then from that, that brought me here today, Kim. So uh, this is the story in a nutshell. <laughs> wow. So, like I... I, every time you said something, um, I went, what, I just need you to know this, Kim, that we're soul brother and sister. Really? You no. Know? Yeah, clearly. He, your idea of culture um, and that we learn by culture and that it's so important that we eat um, because of our knowledge of cultures and traditions. So that, that was number one. Number two was three weeks um, yes. Kim Morrison, do you remember the day that I called you when yes. I did my elimination? <laughs> it sounded like that one, didn't it? <laughs> for, for, uh, you would have you thought she yeah. was on some sort of drug. Oh, okay, I mean, yeah. Are you okay, sweetie? Are you good? Are you? But it was interesting because I got it a couple of days later because we were both doing an elimination protocol and then we were like on the same trip together. So we get the clarity. <laughs> we got it. Yeah. <laughs> didn't we? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oh, it is amazing. Like you can't really describe it to people because it's sort of like telling them, uh, "Hey, look, ultraviolet. Look, I can see ultraviolet." And they're like, "No, I just will never understand until I actually see it myself." You have to, you have to experience it to really know what it's like. Like words will fall short from telling you what the experience is like. And then so, it never leaves amazing. as long as you don't go back to, you know, what you were doing. A lot of people, you know, they'll they'll experience it. And then they won't realize that, that it's the foods that they eliminated um, that was actually causing the problem. So then they go back to those foods and 
and they'll get that dullness again and they'll scratch their head and go, oh, I don't know what causes it. But um, it's so good yeah. to hear, you know, your whole story that you were eating well. And, you know, and, and that was what was puzzling me as I'm thinking you're going to farmer's markets, you're understanding the production of our food, you had figured it all out, but you still weren't getting well. And it's it was dramatic when you, you know, took the grains out and, Yes. Um, and the and the carbohydrates out. And not completely, but you took them out. And would you would you say that your you can implement your culture into the diet that you're doing now that you you can still put some of the beautiful <laughs> foods for the Lebanese culture in? Well, you know, it's funny that you should ask that because that that's been such a big part of my life. I did skip over that from my story, but in two thousand and fourteen when this thing really took hold in me and I, I was so convinced that I have to share this with people and I didn't really have uh, the right avenue to do it. I, I just didn't know how to do it, but the expression needed to be made at some point. I decided to uh, actually start a restaurant and um, I started, there was this cafe next to where I used to live and they didn't operate at night. And I uh, proposed to the owner that I take over the cafe on Friday and Saturday nights and I would run a Middle Eastern restaurant from it. And he agreed. And uh, it was sort of a uh, Middle Eastern restaurant in disguise because what I really wanted to do was to create the model restaurant that I would like to see in the world, the one that I would imagine every restaurant should be like. So uh, the food was local. All the animals were grass-fed. I sourced my meat from Feather and Bone, which is like the best butcher in Sydney. Um, I was getting uh, whatever fresh local produce that I can get my hands on. Um, and it was entirely gluten-free and uh, nutrient-dense, no toxicity. I was using coconut oil and olive oil for everything. I had no canola in the deep fryer, none of that rubbish. And I wanted to create this restaurant that... At first, my idea was, I'm not going to tell people that this is a, a Whole Foods, gluten-free Middle Eastern restaurant. I, th I thought the food was going to speak for itself and that people are, uh, will come, come there and they will know uh, that it's high-quality food. And they, they came and I actually, actually expected nothing from it in terms of, uh, I thought, you know, I'll do this for a few weeks and just enjoy it and then, you know, get, get an experience out of it and touch how many lives I could touch through it and uh, see what people say. And uh, I started this restaurant and uh, people started coming and I, they, they loved the food, but they just didn't understand what they were eating. They're going like, this is sort of Middle Eastern food, but I don't like, I've never had anything like this. Like, so I had to sort of start telling people about the, uh, the idea and the philosophy behind it. And then the Sydney Morning Herald came and reviewed us, I think, four weeks or so after we opened. And um, they called us one of the best pop-ups of the decade. And that sort of really pushed my, like, my life down that direction for the two years that followed. It's just completely, uh, you know, reshaped my life. And it all just came from this idea that I wanted to sort of uh, honor my tradition and my culture in a way that I, I would use ingredients that gave nourishment and health to people and didn't poison them, which, you know, every restaurant out there, unless they're very consciously trying to do uh, no harm, will inadvertently be, be putting toxins in the food and uh, feeding people uh, poison. Like this is just happening everywhere you look. It's just absolutely everywhere. And, uh, you know, mine, I believe, was the first 
gluten-free home whole foods middle eastern restaurant in the world uh, i've never heard of anything other than that and not only was it okay it was you know called one of the best products of the decade so i i think the culture definitely not only does all right with it but thrives on it and becomes a, a big point of difference because it's such an amazing um culture of food we've got you know seven thousand years of uh, cuisine history and um it's just such a it's so easy to create something out of it that is just whole foods and gluten-free it's almost like cheating you know it's almost like a you have uh, the right to cheat there because you, with just a few tweaks the food just sings it just absolutely sings and um yeah definitely the culture benefits really well from this uh, this approach because that's its uh, history that's where it stems from whole foods oh you caught me with some tahini in my mouth sorry (laughs) (laughs) joe says i i have i use tahini as moisturizer which is not not a bit um, recipe book that you did with Joe. I haven't actually seen it. Is it? It's not out yet. We're, it's actually, oh. yeah. So we're doing pre-orders for the cookbook. It starts, uh, well, it goes on uh, sale in earnest in March 2017. Oh my gosh, I have to wait that long? I know. Yes, I'm so sorry. Well, this is this is the thing. Like we're self-publishing the cookbook. So uh, we thought we'd go out to the community and say, um, we're going to write this cookbook. We're going to self-publish it. We didn't have the money to actually pay for all the costs. It's, uh, it's a lot of money to actually produce a book from the photography to the printing and things like that, the editing. So we thought we'll um, put a, a shout out to the community and they'll help us produce this book together. And we put out the, um, we, you know, the pre-orders a few months ago. And it's just, we're, we're almost close to a bestseller even without having the book already. And that goes to show you the, the kind of demand that people have for these foods out there in their lives. They need them. They need they they want uh, healthy and nutritious food to come into their lives. Everyone's struggling, especially like our, our biggest uh, audience are mothers whose own health or their children's health uh, is suffering. And they are looking for ways to sort of get back that knowledge that was taken away from them. Because as, as you know, like uh, there was a period, a dark period in our history as human beings where we somehow convinced women that it is, uh, you know, uh, not a good thing for them to be cooking and uh, it's sort of a waste of their time and that, they, you know, they're uh, above cooking, which is like the, the craziest thing because this, like, to me, the kitchen is where the energies of, of the world come to be, prepared for our own consum- consumption and it is where life transforms into a life-giving force and we've really sort of taken that and sort of broken it down to and and told people lies about it so that we have generations of women who just don't know how to cook now how to prepare nutritious healthy food and uh, the examples that they look for in um, in our culture is really unhealthy so we need to sort of bring that back to people and teach them the joy and the art of cooking again and this is sort of our mission and what a beautiful mission for word. I, and I'm Natasha Campbell McBride, who I know that um, you know who she is because Joe's been on such a huge journey with her with gaps. One of the things that she said in the interview that I did with her was um, that the woman, and it was the woman, and she believes it's the woman, although, you know, you're a male that cooks and there are a lot of men that cook, but she believes the woman has been seduced out of the kitchen. by the marketing, by the food manufacturers. And she says to 
to prepare a meal and a healthy meal for your family is to heal a nation. And and you basically said it in different words, but you you basically said the same thing. And I know Kim and I we we say that probably every time we get up and talk, don't we, Kim? Mm. We just we love it because we agree entirely. Yes. Is that we have a whole generation of kids that don't know how to cook. And I remember, like, I'm a 60s, 70s, so you're an 80s. I was 20 when you were born. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm a I'm a 60s, 70s, and when I went through school. I learned typing. Yes. Cooking. Yes. Sewing. Yeah. Yeah. They were they were every single year we did those three skills. And I look today at the skill. My mum taught me also, by the way, but they were classes. And you know, then it was, oh, that's sexist and that we don't do that anymore and we're gonna teach God no uh, you know what well, it like perhaps it is sexist in a way, like because it's excluding the men. Like we really should have gotten the men onto this as well, rather than just take it out of the curriculum. Like we should have taught everyone to do it. Yeah. Well, yeah, I was just, girl school, so the guys yeah. were they were taught woodwork. Right, yeah. Like I would have, I would love to have been taught how to sew and to look after you know, my own clothes and things like that. Like, why, why wouldn't I? Like, how is that? How is that in any way like uh, gender specific? I don't even understand that. These are life skills that you need to do all the time. Like, we need to cook three times a day sometimes. You know, it's just, and then to say that, oh well, this is a sexist thing, and we're not going to teach people how to cook anymore uh, it just really does a huge disservice to to our communities and we were seeing the direct effects of that correct Cindy like you, you're seeing it every day with with people who come to you and um they people are not asking to be taught how to cook mm-hmm. like this is uh you know it's not due to a fault of their own it's just this is how the bad decisions that we've made as as a culture I, th- I also think, and um, I know Kim will agree with me on this one, is that people aren't questioning. People aren't, mm. like, looking at the production of their food, number one, how it's prepared, number two. But it's not only food. It's also Kim's side of the story as well, which is the outside story, as well as Nicole Bisma's side of the story, which is what we have in our laundry, in our, under our kitchen sink, in our you know, and Kim's yes. is in our bathrooms. And I just think that if if people really, like you did, you, you know, I, your journey was almost like somebody had just said, okay, this is the journey we're going to take him on so he can do maximum, um, you know, work and uh, influence on people who listen to him. And it's so funny because Kim and I are texting each other, just so you know, Fouad. Yeah. We're texting each other through this whole thing. And I said to Kim, is the cafe still open? Can we go? <laughs> <laughs> We're on the next flight. Next flight. Next flight. We're going, my kitchen is ready for you, Fouad, whenever you come up. Well, I, I closed the restaurant down because that was another thing. Like, you know, people... <laughs> uh, yeah oh my god like i'm going to step into life philosophies here and things like that but like I, i'm i'm not one to sort of uh try to put myself in a certain box and commit to it for the rest of my life i just don't believe that's our nature like some people maybe are like that but i i love experiences i love doing different things you know like i've done pottery classes bonsai classes painting classes i'm really bad at all of these things but i love doing them you know <laughs> uh, you know I, I play the guitar but it's terrible but i love doing it i you know I, I like 
like to write poetry. You know, the only person who reads is me, but I love it. You know, so to me, I just want to do all these things. And the restaurant wasn't just a a thing that I was going to go, I'm going to become a chef and do all that. I was just, no, I just wanted to do it. I just wanted to do that for a while. And I did it and I, I closed the restaurant down. And it's sort of, this is one of those things that when you're really fueling yourself and you're not feeling like tired, like you embrace life, life becomes something that you just trust. Like you just want to do it. You want to live it completely. And, you know, the idea of just going like, this is going to be a repetitive thing for me to do. And I'm not going to learn anything from it after like, you know, a year or two, like it's just going to be another form of work. That's like a, my, my worst nightmare. I just want to continue to live my life in a way that I'm challenged every day. I'm, I'm learning every day. I'm doing new things you know so the restaurant was a big chapter in my life which I absolutely loved I did that for two years I did two restaurants over two years and I absolutely loved it but you know it's behind me now but this is another thing that I just you know look back at fondly and go that was amazing when I did but like look at my life now it's amazing again you know like you you close one door and another one opens and if you don't close the door then you're just going to be in that room you know where you're not looking for an exit anymore so you know it's just uh this is the beauty when you're really healthy is you feel that you can take on life you know you can take it on you can just do bring it on you just want to do it all you know and uh i don't know maybe so, maybe it's not the right way to go about it but i love it you know so, so i don't want to ask you uh, you have a different way of looking at things you have a different way of communicating things without making anything sound sexist or opinionated or with judgment and i want to ask you something quite personal you know, growing up in the peak of a civil war, um, seeing conflict around you constantly, being taken down into shelters to survive, being fed tin spam and, um, you know, ultra-processed flours and sugars and cheeses, were you aware that that was not normal as a young boy? And do you think that intrinsically, vibrationally or energetically, that that has given you a more spiritual inquiry and investigation into what it means to be alive? Because I don't think you talk or think like normal people. (laughs) (laughs) Is that a good thing? I think it's a good thing. (laughs) I think she's saying, I think that's an absolute positive thing that she's saying. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, all right. So uh, Uh, let me just say hashtag uh, boy crush. Let me just say. Um, all right so so okay there's so many questions that you asked there i'll start by the first one um yes i was definitely aware that my circumstances weren't normal that uh, war isn't something that everyone experienced i I was very very clear about that i knew that that wasn't um what i was supposed to be living but it was only the only life that i actually had actually in 2006 i went for my first visit back to lebanon and we got stuck in that mini war that happened again um after i had been in australia for five years i um there was all these bombings happening and we also had to leave our home once more one more time and i had to get on a ferry boat to cyprus and um we the, the australians sent uh you know these ferry boats to get uh australian citizens out and i was on on a boat out of lebanon in 2006 and within like a couple of hours uh went from being in war-torn lebanon in uh, being in cyprus on a beach resort they actually put us in a beach resort and i was swimming in like the azure waters of the mediterranean and uh, i was completely like that really really shocked me that you know i had spent 
um, from 1980 to 1994, which is really when when the war finished. Um, you know, I mean, it's still sort of political war at the time right now. But I'd spent those 14 years where two hours away from me was this like incredible, serene paradise. You know, so this is. Uh, this was just a, a, one of the things that sort of really shocked me and now makes me really empathetic to people. And knowing that, like, very quickly, you can, t- like, if we were more open as a human race and more inclusive and we didn't judge each other by color, creed and religion, then we can we can end this stuff now. We can just, it could just, right, right now, we can just all say, all right, all right, just stop. And all right let's love each other and then done you know and it could be within two hours you can get someone out of war and tour in lebanon and put them on a on a beach resort and what's stopping us greed and money again you know and and fear of each other so um you, you know australia welcomed me as a as a lebanese person i didn't come as a refugee but like i had the mentality of a refugee i'd grown up in a in a place where uh, you are threatened uh, to sort of express yourself and your political views and you come from a, a highly patriarchal society where you see oppression against uh, women all the time. Uh, I'm not putting this in a bad way because Lebanon actually as a Middle Eastern country is much more contemporary and moderate in its views than most Middle Eastern countries. Uh, but uh, still, it is very tangible. And even that, I take that idea of uh, like equality even to a, a further extreme. And uh, I look at things now and I, I realize like we, we sort of reached out an olive branch to women uh, in the Western world and we said, oh yeah, women's rights and equal rights and things like that. And um, then what we did as men, which is just the worst thing, like we basically said to women, all right, well, you can just start playing our game now as a, you have the e- an equal footing in our game, but we never allowed women to sort of play their own game now. And then that's why I look at people like you, Cindy and Kim, where you've actually decided not to play the man's game, not, not to play this, this whole charade of, you know, um, capitalism and perpetual growth and uh, ever con- consuming more resources and raping and pillaging the land and uh, destroying the habitats and, you know, uh, spraying uh, Roundup on all the weeds to kill them. And you decide to take the, the, uh, the female energy and work with that to create collaborative uh, companies and businesses that are based on true ethical values of collaboration and nourishment and nurturing. And this is the, the thing that makes me really happy. So when, for instance, I found that actually within me is also the capability as a human being to reach out more into the feminine energies and really not sort of say to myself, hey, I'm a, I'm a bloke, uh, I'm married, I've got two kids, so I'm going to stick to the masculine. I discovered that within me as well is that softness and ability to open up to the world and reach out and, and be trusting and to, to be a real caretaker as opposed to what the world said I should be. And I discovered that these things are in me. It was a complete switch right now, right here. I was like, okay, done. All right, I, I don't want to play the the uh, the old role again. I don't want to have this uh, this charade where I'm actually fighting my own instincts to actually be kind and nice to people. Why should I do that? This is ridiculous, you know. Like, why should I uh, meet the world in this uh, way that doesn't uh, trust it? You know, uh, uh, why am I not supposed to trust life? I am life, you know. Why, why can I not trust myself? 
And uh, so, yes, in a way, I don't speak like most people do, but it, it comes from a perspective where I, I trust myself. I trust the fact that uh, I know what's fueling me is uh, love and empathy and connection rather than fear and hatred and separation. So this is where I stand. And I think this, this is available to all of us as human beings. It's, it's right within us. It, it takes no effort. There's no distance to travel to get there. You, you just have to trust it. That You, know, you have to go with it. So, yeah. And I think with intention is the is the key there. Like you, you know, I remember when we read the book The Secret when it came out all those years ago about the law of attraction, and I I think it became very new agey and very um, symbolic of people trusting the universe. Uh, but I think people forgot the important step of taking action with that trust, and that's something that I've noticed that you do. It's not like you sit back and say, "Let life happen to me." You trust the rhythms of it. You trust the the cyclical nature of it, but you don't just give into it. Is that fair to say? Yeah, I mean, I mean, def- definitely fair to say. But um, I think we we overestimate the control that we have in life. We like right now uh, in my backyard, trillions of bacteria are composting the soil. Uh, galaxies are being born and destroyed. Uh, the Earth is spinning at massive speed, and the sun is burning in heat that we can't even imagine. And I think that I have the ability to control life somehow. That this is <laughs> somehow within my capacity to do this. Um, so it, it is a, a bit of a of a, a big thing to come to a place in, in your human journey where you can let go of control in a sense and say, you know what, I'm not going to sort of take uh, full responsibility for everything that is happening in my life because it is really tiring and it, it makes you very, very guarded as a human being. And uh, then what happens there is the, the quest that used to be outward in your life, which you used to look out and say, look, I want to achieve this. I want to have this car. I want to buy this house and I want to achieve these kinds of things. Like I'm, I want to be a, you know, a podcaster, or that, which I never actually thought I would. <laughs> but um uh, all these things that um, were outward goals, they, they start actually becoming uh, much less uh, heavy uh, in their pool for you because what you've discovered is an inner journey that takes you on the quest of understanding who you are. Because like for me, this is one of the things that I touched on, on in the talk at the Wellness Summit, even though I only had 10 minutes. Like one of the the things that I see a lot of people doing is they're looking for answers in their life. You, you know, you say, are you looking for answers? And people say, yes, I'm looking for answers. And you go, well, what's the question? And then they'll struggle to actually define the question. And to me, like to actually come to the question is the bigger thing. It's if you come to the question, then the answer is going to be easier to find, I believe. So let's define what the question is. And to me, finding the question was uh, something that I just stumbled upon. It, it was a question um, that after I started going, oh, my God, I used to believe that this is the right way to eat. This is the way that as a human being, uh, I should be eating, you know, eight to ten portions of whole grains a day. And then, you know, I have to minimize the saturated fat and I need to do all this kind of stuff and I need to exercise more. And, um, you know, all, all these uh, truths that I held were not true. They just weren't, simply were not true. And I started questioning where I had gathered these ideas from and where did the idea of um, that I held as a view of the world, where did it come from? It was completely social conditioning. I hadn't actually thought of that myself. I didn't sit down and, you know, examine with a microscope what is it that my biology will harmoniously uh, relate to if I eat in a certain way or move in a certain way. No, that wasn't what I thought. I just did what the world did. And then, you know, I started going, all right, well, I've got all these concepts that I've built in my life. Well, which of them are true and which of them aren't true? 
Like, how do I define now who I am and what is the real me and what is the me that is defined by the uh, concepts and the conditioning that I was brought, brought into? So it was a beautiful uh, ex- experience for me to actually let go of these concepts. Uh, to, and, and in the letting go, I wasn't looking for answers to replace them. I wasn't looking for, uh, you know, how do I walk? Uh, do I walk correctly? You know, like that kind of stuff. I wasn't looking for a way to say, oh, well, you should wear barefoot because blah, blah, blah. You know, I wasn't looking for that. Sometimes answers would come and maybe they felt right and I implemented them. But I just really enjoyed the letting go of the question, of, of the, the concept itself. And then, you know, you learn things like meditation or contemplation. And in those places, when you really let go of uh, things like concepts and you sit down in silence and your mind becomes quiet, you realize that, hey, even though I am witnessing my body and my mind seems to be doing whatever it wants to do, and I'm just looking at these thoughts as they come in and out of my head, that there is a me that is beyond that, that is actually witnessing life as it unfolds. And that is the me that I want to find out who that is. I want to know who the I is. So the question became, who am I? You know, And we've got, we've had, we have a huge history of amazing people in the world who have asked that question and they've given us uh, so much insight into into the answer but um you know this is a one of those things where you can't tell people what the answer is because you have to go and experience it yourself you have to ask that question you have to say who am i beyond the concepts and beyond the thoughts and the body and the identification and you let go of all these things and you come to a place where the answer becomes uh, self-evident it tells you like the the question answers itself just in the state of being and then you realize that hey actually i don't have a a a, an age uh that i don't have a gender i don't have uh, a requirement i don't have uh, a need to do something to actually be happy that happiness is my nature the trust is my nature it is there it's already here it's complete i don't need any of these things yes the body could be sick but what i am can never be really sick so in that place you realize it's actually the same place in all the people that you meet that all of us are there but we're just too too sort of um, busy living our lives to actually sit down in peace and quiet and actually come to that place of knowing who we are. And um, then, um, you know, it, you allow people their journeys, of course, because everyone uh, gets to these places in their own time. And uh, to me, it's been a blessing to actually come to that place because now, like, my life is just happy. You know, I'm just happy to do everything that I do. It's just beautiful. <laughs> I'm going to beat you here, Kim. (laughs) I just um, realised that the time I think that I do most of my contemplation is when we do podcasting like this. Mm. Mm. And we often get into some incredible conversations and you have just um, cemented why I think our biggest why we do the Up for a Chat podcast is to have that hour of contemplation every week in order to ask the right questions, get the information, because you're right, if you ask the right question, um, then the, the, the right answer will come. But you don't, if you don't ask the question or you ask the wrong question, and sometimes I think it's awareness and education that allows you to ask the right question as opposed to, you know, just pulling a question out of the air although I think kids are really good at this for ad I just mm, think yeah. like they just they ask these questions after question after question and they're leading to the right answer because you know that they want an answer but you're not giving it to them so they just continue whereas as adults we ask a question we're given an answer and we seem to just let it be 
we we've um, like you know we are born into this body right and we have this sense of awareness and a sense of being i you know and i am in this body and as the body starts growing and the the sense of awareness and being is actually geographically located within this body uh, there's a, a small association that starts saying i am the body and then as we grow older and our mind is uh, actually becoming much more dense and solid and our thoughts are uh, becoming more frequent uh, and our parents say things like fuad do this fuad don't do that fuad behaved well fuad didn't behave well um, the identification there of that sense of being starts tangling itself or entangling itself with the body and the mind. And as we grow older and older, we actually completely forget the fact that we are just awareness and presence and that we are com- now all we are is the body and the mind. And this is something that as adults, we, we reach a point in our life where, um, you know, life becomes sterile that a tree is just a tree and the sky is just the sky and grass is just the grass and the table is just a table. But children don't have that because they haven't really firmly established themselves in this uh, this uh, world of uh, egoic identification. So they look at, you know, the world and it's all magical and mystical to them. And, you know, who, who was it? I think Ramana Maharshi said something like, uh, you teach the, the word, uh, the, a child the word bird. And uh, from that moment on, they stop seeing the majestic creature soaring through the clouds, and instead they see the word bird. Mm-hmm. And uh, this this is the this is the the world as we rediscover it. As we, you know, we come to say to ourselves, well, maybe we don't really know anything. Let's see what the world really is. And yeah, but it takes a lot of courage there because you know there's cognitive dissonance and there's uh, all sorts of mechanisms that are in place that stop us as human beings from allowing this kind of uh, examination inquiry to come into our lives. But it's really worth it. It's just you know, and it's sequential, and you can start by questioning things like how you eat, and eventually you you'd start questioning, you know, what this life is, and and you'll enjoy it. It's it's a beautiful experience for a human being. It's it's the you know, like like life is there to be question just for the joy of the questioning and to be lived just for the joy of the living it's beautiful why not do it you know like why why what's holding you back like you hold you're holding back from your own fear that you enjoy things too much and you come across as a crazy person talking on a podcast with cindy and kim why not just enjoy you've, you've got this experience you can you can talk about it say it so i don't know well on that note can i read the can i please could i read one of the poems that you think that you were writing oh my god are you serious yeah yeah, can I read one of them? Because I know Cindy will love it. I know it. I want you've got to really listen. Am I okay to share this word? Sure, can Okay, great. <laughs> Didn't have much choice, the poor thing. <laughs> but but if you really listen to the words, I read it over and over and I absolutely love it. You're gonna love it. Are you ready, Cindy? I am ready. I'm like I'm so ready. I love poetry. <laughs> I am the strings and the bow. I am vibration and the space in which it travels. I am the music and the ecstasy of the heart that hears. I am the sound and the silent peace that holds it. In pure delight, I am separate and in union. Still, yet in me all things take shape. I am the lover and the beloved. I am their eternal moment of bliss. At their union, I am the blossoming of their endless joy. I am the forgetting and the remembering. I am the tree in love with its flowers. I am the flowers beautiful in gratitude. Within me, all is. Within me, all is one. Life is woven from pure love. 
beauty arises in the rapture of its own self. Behold, it says, behold and marvel. There's nothing to do and no one to do it. Dwell in the self that is all there is. Wow. Well, that's amazing. I just I think we need to um, print that up and <laughs> for why does it mind and put it on the up for a chat. Um, oh my god. It's so beautiful. I read it over it's, and it's, over. Yeah. Wow. And I and I listen to the words and then as I read the words, what it makes me do is look for the words that aren't written and the words and behind the words and then the intention and the meaning and the heart in the words that you've written. And sometimes I think the language, and Karen always says this, that language cannot always articulate the truth. Um, it can't always articulate how we truly feel or what we're truly wanting to say. Sometimes it's just a feeling or not. And I think what you do, Fuad, and why you've become such a, a beautiful part in our lives and why I think we feel like we've had you in our lives for so long is you are talking a language that we're all seeking and you talk conversation in the meaning of I am or what is I am or who am I and you give us reason to even question it and I think it's just poetic how you express it and it happens to be food and the aroma of food and your culture and tradition and your experiences that have brought you into this place of of your own self-expression and leadership and I think it's it's absolutely beautiful. Thank you so much Kim it's it's uh, it's just a a privilege, like for me, when I when I wrote that poem, like imagine the state that I was in, you know, like how, what I was feeling to to actually for these words to come out, because like words just are you still there? Yes, yes, yes. Oh, yes sorry, we it, got, it, it went disconnected. Mm -hmm. So the the words that sort of the experience portrays, like a, a human being has to have gone through something massive for something like this to come out truthful and honest i mean this is not to me it's not a poem it's not poetry it, it is it's just trying to explain what the sense of my being is this is how i feel like I'm not every day of course but you know you go through ups and downs in your life like anyone else but you know the ability to open yourself up to that place within you that can actually witness and marvel at the universe isn't that like a like what kind of gift this life is that we, we are able to take in the world and life and joy and sadness and all that and experience the whole range of human emotions and to have them within us available to us effortlessly. Like it's effortless for us to feel sad and happy and it's, it's, it's all joy. It's all beautiful. You know, if you look at it the right way, it's just all beautiful. So, you know, what what I hope for with the wellness thing for me is like, of course, I want to see people get better. I don't want to see um, children suffering. I don't want to see any of this uh, stuff happening in the world uh, that we can sort of uh, prevent through things like nutrition and adequate health. But I also really firmly believe that it is when a person becomes well that he is afforded the luxury to the question to question these things in life to question what is outside the rat race, you know, to question what, the meaning of life because. If you don't question it, you'll, you'll miss an opportunity. Just ask the question. Ask it, what is this life about? What, like, how, what is this thing that is capable of experiencing life? And really, like, just answer that question. Go beyond the obvious answers. You know, you go, like, I'm a human being. I've got biological organs. And, you know, they can interact with the world and do this. No, there's more to it. Like, you, you have 
effortlessly the ability to experience this this world and this life and this universe with all its majesty just try to understand what it is what is it that actually powers you and you know it's to me if we come to that place then we all meet each other in trust and love and we we all start making better decisions for the planet and we, you know they call it a utopia as, a, as in the place can never exist that's sort of the, the mean no, no such place exists that's the meaning of the word utopia and perhaps that's true perhaps the world will never come to that but i think more and more people are uh, finding um, wellness through health first and then that leads them down the uh, the track of asking these bigger questions and it creates more empathetic and more loving people whose uh, life effortlessly touches everyone else's around them. it becomes like a flame walking through the forest you know and then all the branches are going to get lit up by it and without there's no effort in it like this for me to talk about this it's a joy i'm not trying to sort of sell anything i'm not trying to tell people you know go do this or that no it's you know this if so, if it resonates within a human being it's because it's within them that the capacity for hearing this truth exists because they they have the same place in them that i have in me you know so if let just if they're open enough to that place and more of us sort of join together in on this mission then as we're seeing in the health world you know we're seeing so many people get better and the world does become a better place and maybe i'm overly hopeful but hey i can't help it it's just uh this is how my life is coming out. So. It's, inter- it's interesting you brought up around your passion and love around biology because when I hear Dr. Libby Weaver talk about biology and the human 50 trillion cells and how she, when she was learning all about her PhD in, in biology and I think it was even medical um, biology and things like that, but she was really talking about when you really look at the unbelievable majesty of how these 50 trillion cells are constant, constantly, effortlessly doing millions of chemical um, things at moments, every moment there's, yeah. there's chemical reactions occurring without us even thinking about it or knowing about it. But when so it doesn't matter where you go micro or macro, you go into a void of, of nothingness. Like when you go right <laughs> down into a cell, there is nothing. And then when you go right out into what you were talking about with the, 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 the universe and the concept of what's beyond that, there is nothing. So are you saying that within us, like what, what is your thoughts around, I wish Karen was on this call, but what is your thoughts around nothingness or nothingness? Yeah, the, I mean, this is um, like the word nothing to people implies that they're like as if nothing can actually exist. But really, that's not even possible. Like there's no it's not possible for a nothingness to, to exist. There's there's always a something. And um, even in us, like if we sit down in contemplation or meditation and uh, we say, um, you know, I'm trying to become nothing or something like that. Um, nothing is like the canvas where something is drawn. Nothing is uh, is truly an instrument of something. Uh, if we didn't have a, a white canvas that is nothing, no color, then we can't draw paintings on it. So, you know, a something will emerge from nothing. And... Um, 
you know, in say Eastern philosophies, they have the view that, um, as like in our current view of the world, is that the physical world gives birth to consciousness. So we say, you know, uh, human beings are conscious within the physical world. Uh, but, you know, people who have contemplated life uh, for thousands and thousands of years have different conclusions and different opinions on this. And their view, for instance, is that um, consciousness gives life to the physical. And in fact, like if we think about something like the, the Big Bang, like how many billion years did that take to sort of uh, form the planets and the Earth? But if, for instance, there was no subjective observer of that experience, such as the human being with the consciousness in it, then how long does time take? How long does it take until the Big Bang really fully forms, until a human being emerges and then is capable of, of observing the world? Uh, it seems to me that without consciousness, that no, no experience is possible. So now that there is experience, um, it seems to be an inevitable um, um, complement or companion to inexperience, that they come together, that uh, nothing gives birth to somethingness, and somethingness is the uh, required opposite of the nothingness. So um, maybe I'm getting a bit too, too esoteric here, but... This <laughs> no, not at all. I just wish Karen was on the line. <laughs> <laughs> she wish she was on the line. Yeah, yeah. So, she'll, so She'll come up with something, like, I'm listening to you and... Um, and and I'm I'm down the rabbit hole with you, but I'm lost. I'm, I'm like um, I don't know. I'm not the rabbit in the rabbit hole. I don't know. Where. <laughs> well, I, well, well. This he, here's the good news, right? <laughs> so, uh, so, so we say like we want to go and search for our true identity. We want to know what this life is and what our true nature is, correct? Like a lot of people are on this quest. They want to sort of understand what their true nature is. The good news is if it's your true nature, it's already here, right? There's there's nowhere to go. There's no, not necessary for you to travel or uh, to make actual effort for your true nature to actually be here, right? But I'll, I'll give you a very easy, easy example now. And this is sort of um, one of the things that just is, is just so simple. It's re really, really simple. But maybe, maybe we can do it like a, a, a very quick meditation if you want, and I'll guide you through it. Do you want to? Do you want to do that? Yeah. All right. Okay. So if if you close your eyes and just focus on that sense of being here, just being present, and you can. In that place of awareness, you feel that your body is here. You can sense your body. Maybe as a vibration, there's a tingling at the end of your fingers. You can feel that, yeah? You can, you can answer me. This is not like one of those meditations that you don't have to do. You can talk because it's sort of more an inquiry and, and a looking rather than a meditation. Okay. All right. So you can feel your body and there's this undeniable cell, a sense of saying, I am here. Can you feel it? Okay. Mm -hmm. So can you, let's, let's observe, maybe there's some emotional state in you. Maybe there's some tension, there's a bit of worry about what you need to do today after the, how long for us going to do this meditation for? It's going to take 20 minutes or something. <laughs> we don't have enough time. <laughs> can, you, can you notice that these things are, are there? Within, like thoughts are coming and emotions are there? Mm -hmm. And that there's maybe, but there's an effortless perception of this? That's right. Mm -hmm. All right. So, um, the senses are working, you can hear me. Does it take any effort? No, not okay. with your voice. No. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So let's take it a step further. Just let's focus on that sense of being just a little bit. Just that, that sense of actually observing the body, observing the mind and observing the senses. 
And just that place of just being here right now, like it's just being. Does that place actually have a size? No. Does that place have an age? No. Does it have a gender? No. Does it have a beginning? No. Does it have an end? No. All right, so what is this place? This is the question. You just told me that the sense of I that you have in you doesn't have a beginning, doesn't have an end, doesn't have an age, doesn't have a gender, doesn't have a story, perhaps doesn't even get sick, it will never die. So this is very simply within like, you know, 20 seconds, you, you came to a place where, you know, who you thought you were was contradicted by terms that you can only describe negatively. You can say, I, can, I don't have a size, I don't have an age, I don't have a gender. But you can't even give it an adjective. You can't say it's vast because it feels vast, but it also feels really small and located here at the same time. This is the silence. Yeah, this is the silence from which beingness comes. And it's right here with us. This is who we are. This is our true nature. You know, this is just we've never really felt it. You know, like uh, the uh, Eastern uh, Hinduism will call it uh, the seed being. Christianity will call this the soul. This is just, um, you know, the the uh, life energy that enables us to experience this this uh, this body and this mind and all these things are here. This is this is what it is. That that's that place, and it's effortlessly within us. We don't have to work hard to get there. We don't have to work at all. It's already here. And this is the place that I encourage people to look at. You know, this is the, the place that I think if if you spend enough time there, you realize that actually all the problems that you have in life are just being viewed by you, not really experienced by you. And it gives you a lot more space between yourself and your life. And you realize that life is, is, is a beautiful play and you're really watching it and enjoying it. And it's just wonderful. It's absolutely wonderful. And it's a privilege. You can't take yourself out of the life. You can't sort of ignore it and go on doing something else internally. No, no, this is, it's, you are, you are the, the experience and the experiencer of the experience, you know, together, this is what's happening. But in your essence, there's lightness. It's, there's, there's nothing, you know, there's nothing that can really be touched by the experience. It's just beautiful. So this is, uh, this is the rabbit hole. If you, if you want, want to go down that and you just look at that place, it's, it's just simple. But also, do you feel, do you feel like a sense of, peace and calm just having been in touch with that place for just a little bit yeah do you feel yeah do you feel it yeah. yeah and i'm hoping that our listeners if they did this while they're driving that they're in a very good place <laughs> um, <laughs> because it's put, it gives it's, a sense of wonder too, it I does think. it's like mm. uh, you just go to another place but this is those moments mm. where you don't realize how you drove from one place to another or you don't yes. pay attention <laughs> to one thing to another when you're this mm. engrossed in a conversation like this and yeah i just think <laughs> we started off this podcast talking about food and and where you've come from and and when you really this is what I love when you're right Cindy about up for a chat is that we go we chat until we get the layers and and we go beyond the layers and and maybe what's so beautiful about a man like you Fuad is that you give us all permission to go there and and I think that's something that's an exceptional gift 
And I would say that if you ever do another pop-up restaurant, we have to be first. We have to <laughs> I'll be just come first. over and cook for you guys. So, yeah. Oh, we'll have our that's... private pop-up. <laughs> yeah, easy, because that, that means I don't have to stress about, you know, feeding 200 people in the same night as well. So I can put all my energies into you. So. Well, I think selfishly that works for me. So, you know, right. Yes, me too. <laughs> I know we, we could honestly keep talking and, and I seriously would just love to find out more you know, and thankfully we have you as a friend and we're on speed dial, so it's quite good. But I'm wanting to know if oh, people want to. Excuse me. Oh, sorry. Did you, I was wondering. Dial. I was wondering if you'd get that one. <laughs> I was waiting for that. You know, we fought in front of 950 people. Now we're talking and fighting in front of 3 million people. So hello. <laughs> <laughs> But sweetheart, you guys know this is my first podcast, by the way. Did you know? Like, I've never actually been on. <gasps> You're a virgin. Stop it. Yes. Yeah. Stop so <laughs> I, I'm, I'm, I'm worried that I might have said too much. That maybe no. you know, no. people are going to go. Who, who is this crazy man no. saying all this crazy? Not things, our so. listeners. Our listeners <laughs> are so with us on this trip. And- <laughs> I just want to ask you, if people wanted to find out more about you, if they wanted to discover more, tell us some things, the projects you've got coming up, the websites, any connections and Facebooks and all of that, because I guarantee you're going to get a flurry. (laughs) All right. So um, there's a few things in the pipeline for me. First of all, with the cookbook, uh, if you go to quirkycooking.com.au slash pre-order, then you can have a look at the cookbook there, uh, see what it's all about. And um, it it is a beautiful cookbook with recipes for the thermomix and uh, conventional methods as well. And uh, if you want to support us so that we can actually print more books and have it in more Australian homes when the print run comes out in March, then this would be a privilege and an honor to us. So we'd really appreciate your support. Um, Then uh, Jo and I have a gut health program on her website, um, which is uh, meant to help people who, uh, um, for instance, have been considering doing like a, a GAPS diet or something like that, but they didn't know where to start because like the uh, the gaps book um is more heavy on the science and less so on the recipes and the ideas so we've got things like meal plans and recipes and we explain uh, basic concepts in layman's terms and tell people how to eat for gut health uh, and that is uh, i believe on gaps.quirkycooking.com.au uh, you'll be able to to go there and, and have a look at at the program uh, I also have a private website called fuadkasab.com where um, it's basically just some information site. I don't really have anything there that like I sell or anything like that, but um, I'm moving more and more. I'm, I'm getting asked by people to help them in uh, making sense of uh, their own health journey and trying to sort of what I'm trying to do now is to sort of bring this knowledge that I have to people I come in direct contact with. So I'm starting a little bit of a a lifestyle and health coaching business, but I'm putting that like doing it really slowly because I still have the cookbook to do. But if, if it's something that you're interested in, then uh, you can send me an email at me at fuadkasab.com, uh, which is F-O-U-A-D-K-A-S-S-A-B.com. 
Um, and apart from that, um, if you just want to say hello, my uh, Facebook page is Fuad Kassab Health. So you go to facebook.com slash Fuad Kassab Health and just say hello and, and tell me if you liked the podcast or you hated it. And um, you know, just let, let me know what you thought. And I'd, I'd love to get any feedback, especially the negative one, to, to see what I can improve in being able to relay my message to those people who are uh, wanting to listen and wanting to know more about it. And uh, so, yeah, that's that's me in a nutshell. I, I don't think it is, actually. I think that's, that's just the icing on the gluten-free cake. <laughs> While you were saying it, I'm going to all of them. I'm clicking away and I'm, I was on Quirky Joe's and then I was on, now I'm on yours. There's a lot with you, food blog, oh, the, the food wellness couch. Yeah. yeah, there's heaps, um, yeah. SBS food. So there's heaps on you. Yeah, yeah, we can stalk you on- easily. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I have a friend who actually um, used to stalk me and became one of my best friends. I'm like, this is a successful stalking mission. You did all right out of it. You know? <laughs> so like, I, I love, I love stalkers, especially the ones that I, I get along with. Like, I'm not really, I don't, I don't hold back from from meeting people or anything like that. I'm, um, you know, I'm, I'm not a celebrity. I'm not a, you know, a special or anything like that. It's just. And honestly, like my life feels like a big dream to me, and I feel like no no effort has been made, and it. it's just sort of uh, a, a thing that just happened. So I, I don't really take credit or ownership for any of it. It's just been really just wonderful to live this life and to be able to share it. So like it's a privilege to connect to whomever connects with me and asks me any questions. I'm you know hopefully I'll have the time to be able to reply to everyone and um, guide them whenever I can, and that that's really. Um, you know, just let let this thing happen as as it's supposed to happen. Do you think? Um, just one final question. I, I'm just interested. You, the conversations you have with your wife and your children. I mean, kind of like, what are they like? You've got a wife? Are you serious? <laughs> <laughs> are they all on the same path as you? <laughs> yeah. So so um, Elaine and I. This is one of those beautiful things. I think like um, you know like um, traditional uh, marriages are um, based on um, you know again social conditioning. So people go in like like I like we did like we got married because we thought that that's what sort of what people do you know, and we didn't really know what marriage is supposed to be like and and. Luckily, it was really, really pure luck. Because uh, I met Elaine on when I was uh, when I first moved to Australia. She actually was at the same university with me, and uh, we met there, and we've been together since two thousand and one. Um, and we've uh, sort of come to this uh, place now where we're these we're like companions and best friends and we talk to each other about about life and you know we i don't hold back from telling her the things that i think like even the crazier things that i uh, think about and uh, which i won't talk about in podcasts but um, and and i i find that you know things like like someone like a like a spouse or a wife or a girlfriend or you know a partner whatever it is like if you overcome those like issues of like ownership and you need to do this and I need to do that and you go be behind that because these things are just really not what matters in a relationship. What matters is support and what matters is love and being able to sort of uh, walk this life together and just like look say look 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 at those flowers over there how beautiful they are and someone to have say, yeah they're beautiful like let's go to that mountain and go yeah let's, let's run up the mountain together and do these things and this is what I, I feel life is about like in terms of partnership because you know we this is a, a world of duality you know we we live in a world of um 
uh, rough and smooth and hot and cold and ups and downs and night and day and death and life and male and female, you know. So it seems that somehow in the natural way uh, in this life intended is that there, there needs to be some kind of companionship, someone to sort of uh, give you the, the flip side, you know, to sort of um, be there with you, like to be one, but to be separate, you know, in, in, the, in a way, but to give each other space, but also to be together, like holding hands as you walk on this journey of life and when when you when you understand that it's not about ownership but it is about companionship because after like this body goes what are we going to take with us you know from this relationship what's going to stay and it is it is this like the beauty of the surrender and the trust and the knowing that's what comes out of it for me now and you know luckily elaine is an amazing woman she's uh, she's an introvert and so she like doesn't go into the limelight with me like when i go presenting and all that she it's it's not the the world that she wants to be in but uh she's uh, when it comes to these issues she's right there she's right there with me you know and we complement each other and we challenge each other and we uh you know make, make each other like uh, stay on the right track when it comes to these things instead of going in crazy tangents and uh, it's she's been a big blessing in my life and you know if i sort of had thought like if i were to give a 21 year old an advice i'd say don't get married but luckily for me it was sort of uh it was a beautiful thing that, that happened in my life and she's just been amazing Mm. Well, we're other wives officially now. I'm just saying, um, <laughs> you know, she's going to have to. You, Kimmy? <laughs> I don't mind, but the two blondes—you've just now, you've just now. Um, so I hope she doesn't, she doesn't mind. Um, Fuad, thank you. Yeah. There are so many questions both of us have. Is, is there anything else from you, beautiful Cindy? Ah, oh, well, you asked me that question, and I, I have. I, I could have you. I would like you to come round to my house for dinner, because yeah. I I think it would be and Kimmy mm-hmm. and it would be an amazing conversation. Mm. So for Wad, the invitation's there for when you come to the Sunshine Coast. Wow. Um, we will have dinner and we will make the food for you. No, we we'll cook um, together. How about like we we'll yeah, just we cook, cook together? together. It's, Even uh, better. It's, it's, we yeah. would love it. We thank you really... so much for the invites, Cindy. And, yeah. yeah. And thank you so much for, for your time and giving me the ability to, to say these things and to being responsive to them and not hanging up on the podcast five minutes after it started. <laughs> and, I, uh, I seriously, I had so many questions for Wad, but I just think that it's a, it's another hour and um, <laughs> and we might get you back because what I'd love, for me personally, what I'd love to talk to you about is your consciousness now, and I, we don't need an answer for it, but maybe we can tempt the viewer, the, the people listening that we may do this, is that your consciousness now and before you got well, um, mm. your the, the, the spirituality, religion, whatever it is that you have, what was it and what is it now? Mm. Um, just there were so many questions that kept coming to my mind. Um, and anyway, that's me, Kimmy, but I just know that we have been, um, we're past our hour by quite a bit, aren't we? Yeah. So did you want an answer in another podcast or yes. in this yeah. podcast? And okay. I, guess, okay. I think what we'll do actually is all our, all our beautiful listeners, yeah. I think once we put this one up, if you'd like to ask, have any questions asked, yeah. then perhaps you need to put it onto that Facebook page and then that yeah. way when we have you back on, we can have yeah. a real investigative and mm. beautiful inquiry into those questions because it's someone with your thinking that has us mm. think and 
I think it would be a really wonderful space for our listeners to feel a part of your world as well. So, so if you wouldn't mind, we'd love to get you back. Oh my God, it would be a privilege for me. Like this is complete joy to be on this podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Well, thank I you for that. That this is a beautiful way to to wrap it up, and I think if all of you guys listening to this have felt the way Cindy and I have, and we've been madly texting one another, going, "Oh my gosh." <laughs> Love, love him even more. Oh my gosh, he's mine. No, no, he's mine. Um, <laughs> if you're all doing Why the you same should thing. say that it's hilarious. You should send me the messages. Like no, that. no, no, please don't. <laughs> no, um, but seriously, all our beautiful followers, um, make sure that if you would like to continue the ride with us, that you go to all the W's facebook.com forward slash up for a chat and post all your comments, thoughts, feelings, and questions there. And if you'd like to, go to thewellnesscouch.com forward slash up for a chat and make sure that you can post questions, comments, thoughts and feedback there as well. And in the meantime, I hope that all of you continue to wanting to be on this journey of creating the ripple effect that's changing the world. And I think together we are all going down the rabbit hole and enjoying totally what the inquiry is all about. I think if you've all been as touched by Fuad as Cindy and I have, and we're really sorry we don't have our beautiful Karen, then make sure that you place your comments onto that Facebook page so that we can get Fuad back and go into an even deeper rabbit hole. So on that note, everybody, take care, look after yourself, and we will see you same time next week. Bye for now. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst The Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of The Wellness Couch podcasts.